This is the London Live Podcast. Listen live weekdays from 1 to 3 on 980CFPL. There are a few things in our lives that we can take for granted, and we do. And sometimes you'll get a wake-up call and you'll realize, yeah, I really have been taking that thing for granted, or I really have been taking, even worse, that person for granted. Now, there are things in life that you can't take for granted at all, and yet definitely we do. And one of those things is pretty simple. We use it like there is an unlimited supply. We use it as if it was just a part of us, like we might use our arms, our legs, our eyelids. We just use it. It's water. And unless you actually sit down and talk to somebody who is from, let's say, a country in Africa where water is not that readily available, where there is no guarantee that it is potable, you don't begin to realize what it's like. We got a chance to talk with Kathy Mueller, who does a lot of work with the Red Cross, last week on London Live. If you haven't heard it, you can find that on our podcast. You can find that on the Curious Cast Network, or you can go to 980cfpl.ca. But we didn't spend a lot of time talking about water. However, it was one thing that came up. And there are stories, and Kathy pointed to the fact that a lot of times it's the young girls in a family who have the job to go and get clean water. And you would think, oh, okay, like like a chore, right? Like taking out the trash or like making a bed in the morning, maybe helping with dinner every once in a while. No, no, not not like that at all. Some of these girls forfeit school so that they can go and get water for their families. Forfeit school. Yeah, yeah. They uh, don't go to school so that they can get water for their families. They take these big jugs that, as Kathy mentioned, are hard to even lift, and they will walk those jugs. Sometimes they'll walk a cow or some other animal that the family may own, and they will walk all the way to where there is Fresh water. Sometimes that walk is hours. So you're walking the cow and carrying the empty bucket for three hours, four hours, six hours. You get to the end, the cow takes a drink because the cow's pretty thirsty by then. You might have a drink too. You fill up the water container and you bring it back. That's why they can't go to school. And yet, what do we do? Oh, I left the tap running while I was brushing my teeth. Oh, boy, that 24-minute shower, that hit the spot. Ah, Feel nice and loose now, nice and relaxed. You know what I'd like to get? I'd like to get that shower that has the jets that are not just up by your head, but they have those body jets, too. You seen that? You shut the door. Oh, it's like a massage. That's where we are, and it's insane. That that's where we are. It's insane that on the same planet, we have a divide like that. Where some people are looking at how to make a better shower. Oh, the jacuzzi tub. Have a little jacuzzi at the end of the day. And yet we've got other people who can hardly get enough water just to keep themselves alive. And it's only when water becomes a topic around here 
when there is a threat to our water that we actually pay attention, that we actually stop to think about this. I didn't rant about this yesterday to begin London Live. I could have. Certainly, I didn't on Friday, but I am ranting about it now because, you know, I'm one of those people that needs that wake-up call. Aren't you one of those people that needs the wake-up call? Hey, you, by the way, you're lucky. Look where you are. Look what you have. Look what you get to do. And we are going to take a second to look at the situation that exists with lead content in water. Because when that story came out, immediately heads turn and they think, whoa, 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 whoa. This is our water supply we're talking about. How exactly did we get these kinds of concentrations of lead in water supplies? What about schools? What about daycares? And now we've got numbers that have kind of looked at this. And this is this is not great. I mean, the story talks about hundreds of thousands of Canadians using tap water with levels of lead. This is nothing new, though. This is not an issue that it's, oh, where did this come from? Oh, it's poof. The genie has appeared out of the bottle. How did that happen? That's not what this is. This is something that we've known about, but it's something that goes under that big I description, infrastructure. Because it's so difficult these days, and, you know, when the latest budget comes out and it is a 3.6% increase or a 2.1% increase or a 1.8% increase, you know what's going to happen. Anybody who pays property taxes will go, ah. Jeez, can't we have a freeze? Couldn't this go in the other direction for once? Come on, man. This is awful. Look, can't they figure it out at City Hall? They waste so much money. Well, no, they they don't. There, there's a lot of money to spend because it takes a lot to run a city that is now, we need some census data on this, but I don't think it's going too far out on a limb to say over 400,000 people. And so... We need to make sure that we are having all of our services and we need to make sure that we have everything we've always had and we have new projects and we keep the economy stimulated. And you know what gets pushed down the river? Infrastructure has for years, has for years everywhere. We had sinkholes opening up. We're not the only city to have that. There was one guy who ran into real trouble in Ottawa in a sinkhole because of how far down he went into that sinkhole. We have infrastructure issues in every single municipality in this country from coast to coast because it gets pushed down the river. Or, as people like to say, you kick the can down the road. Well, it doesn't matter whether it's a can that's going down a road or a can that is going down a river. We try to keep cans out of rivers. They don't tend to go hand in hand. But the issue becomes we have a situation now where plumbing, the way that things were done, and some new data that has come out has led us to see, uh uh-oh, we've got a problem here. And Global News has been involved in this. Concordia University's Institute for Investigative Journalism has been involved with this. More than 120 journalists have worked on this. So let's spend some time talking about this and we're very lucky to have with us dan huggins who is the man to see when we're talking water quality in london ontario and he joins us now on london live dan thanks so much for taking some time out for us oh happy to help as we spelled this out this is not 
an issue that is, oh, whoa, where where did that tornado come from? We've known that there are issues like this for some time, or at least the potential for issues like this. But with the data that's come out, what do you see when you read through it? Well, I'm, I'm happy to see that, that uh, you know, there's attention being paid to this. We've been paying attention to it for, for quite some time. And um, maybe I'll, I'll back up a little bit, Mike. So municipalities provide water through our water mains, the underground pipes. And in pretty much every municipality that I'm aware of, that water is virtually lead-free. But it comes through pipes into buildings, homes, schools, and those uh, plumbing uh, fixtures that can come through uh, can either be made of lead, in the case of lead service pipes, or contain lead, uh, such as solder and brass. And water will dissolve some of that lead, we call it leaching it out, and pick up uh, appreciable amounts of lead into the water. So this is what uh, the, the study that uh, um, is, has come out now by these journalists is bringing attention to the fact that there is water, uh, there is lead in, in drinking water, if it's, especially if it's coming through a lead service pipe, but also uh, in schools where it's uh, in contact with these brass fixtures. Now, there are likely acceptable levels of lead, just as there are acceptable levels of all kinds of contaminants. We walk out in any major city and you breathe in, chances are you're going to inhale a, a contaminant of some sort, but it doesn't affect the body. What do we know about acceptable levels of lead? Well, the latest research is saying that, you know, no lead is good lead. There, there's Lead provides no value to us, and there isn't a level of lead that Health Canada is willing to say this is a safe level. They've reduced their guideline in drinking water uh, from 10 micrograms per liter uh, to 5 micrograms of lead per liter of water. But they're saying that this is uh, that we should take every step to, to uh, reduce lead exposure. But this level of 5, they're not saying it's a safe level, but they're saying it's as low as might reasonably be achievable, that, that it's a good target value. We're talking with the City of London Water Quality Manager, Dan Huggins, and we're looking at the situation in London that actually is just part of a bigger story that goes from coast to coast and looks at levels of lead reaching, whether it's glasses of water that you're drinking, reaching schools, in drinking fountains, whatever it is, because of aging infrastructure, because of certain types of plumbing that were used in the past. So, Dan, let's begin to break down London, Ontario. What are we seeing in London? Well, let's start with homes, uh, and then we can talk about schools. So I mentioned uh, the water could travel from the water main to a house through a pipe we call the service pipe, and this travels underground. Uh, starts at the water main under the street, uh, comes under your front lawn or driveway and through your basement floor and connects to your water meter. And prior to 1953 in London, those w- were often made of lead. They could be made of copper, but they could be made of lead. So the good news right off the bat is if your home was built in 1953 or later, you do not have a lead service pipe and your water's not picking up lead. But if your home is older than, you know, built in 1952 or earlier, then it could be coming through a lead pipe. And there's about 25,000 homes in London that were built before 1953. So that pipe underground, if it's made of lead, when water travels through it, it will pick up some levels of lead. How much uh, is going to be in the water? We can only tell by measuring at the tap. And since 2006, the City of London's been offering free lead testing at the tap for people in these homes where lead service pipes might exist. 
And uh, since 2006, we've been in over 12,000 homes uh, collecting water samples and sending them off to a laboratory and providing those results to the homeowners. So chances are, if you're a homeowner and you have a lead service pipe, you've probably had your door knocked on or heard from the city? Well, we've advertised. We, we uh, One time we, we delivered pamphlets to all 25,000 of those homes. It's on our website. We certainly uh, encourage people, if they haven't already been tested and if they're living in one of these older homes, to give us a call because we'd like to, to help them uh, find out if they have a lead pipe. And, and uh, if they don't, that's great. If they do, they're going to have uh, more lead in their water than if they didn't have a lead pipe, and, and we'll uh, provide measurements on how much and, and uh, advise on steps they can take to, to reduce those levels. Dan, is it as simple as houses built before 1953, so 1952 and earlier, and then those built after? Is it as simple as saying the before, chances are they have one, the after, you don't have to worry about it? Or is there a way that everybody kind of has to do a check? Well, we can certainly say that if your house is built in 1953 or after, you do not have a lead service. You don't have to worry about that. If it's built before 1953, then we pretty much have to come to your house and, and check to, to find out. Um, different builders, different subdivisions, use, you know, you can go through down a street in Old North or Old South London and half the homes have used copper and half used lead. So it really, you know, uh, you have to test each home, and, and that's what we've been doing. And, and we will continue to do that for homeowners on request. Now, as far as options go, would replacing that lead service pipe be one of those options? And if so, who has to do that? Well, that certainly is an option. That's the most effective option. Before we get there, I'll tell you there are certainly cheaper options. Um, There are filters, uh, uh, activated carbon filters that people can buy for around $25, either, you know, the the pitcher-type filter that you fill up and put in your fridge or the one that threads right to the end of your kitchen tap, and they uh, remove 99.99% of the lead. So that's an immediate fix. The best and long-term fix is replacing that water service pipe. So water service pipes get replaced a couple different ways. I mentioned they start at the water main, and that's obviously out under the street on city property. But then they travel underground and cross the property line and then end up in your basement. So the part that's on homeowner's property belongs to the homeowner. The part that's on city property belongs to the city. So one way they get replaced is we, every summer, rip up streets and replace the old water mains. Water mains get to be around 100 years old. We'll dig up the whole street and replace the water main, the sewers, and we replace the service pipes up to the property line. And when that's being done uh, the year before, we'll send letters to the homeowners saying, you know, we're going to be replacing your, your water main and, and uh, our part of your water service. You know, please give us a call, find out if it's lead, and, and uh, they can then hire a contractor, usually just under $1,000 uh, in conjunction with one of our projects. Uh, for the homeowner to then have a contractor replace the private portion as well. And a lot of people think that's going to you know, create a massive big trench through their front lawn, but they use what we call um, uh, trenchless technology. So they, they use burrowing, tunneling machines that will go from the basement right underground out to the, uh, out to the property line. And uh, I should mention, you know, we want everybody to do that. We encourage them to. And the City of London actually has a loan program. If you want to replace the lead service on your property, we'll lend you the money up front, and then we'll collect back over 10 years with the property taxes. Now, that's one way. That's with these water main replacements. But any London homeowner who has a lead service right now and doesn't want to have a lead service can uh, initiate the replacement process themselves. So they would hire a contractor to excavate at the property line and tunnel a new service out from the basement to that line. 
And then the city, we will come in the very next day and replace from that property line out to the water main. So anybody who has a lead service, it can be replaced you know, within a couple of weeks. They just need to phone us. We'll uh, set you up with contractors that do this kind of work. And again, we'll lend you the money. Now, on that type of a customer-initiated replacement, the costs are closer to about $1,600 on average, which, you know, is not a huge amount. Uh, homeowners are always uh, doing repairs and upgrades, and, and this is certainly a, uh, an important one to consider. Uh, but again, we'll, we'll lend you the money so you don't, you're not out of pocket up front, and then collect it back over 10 years on the property taxes. We're talking with Dan Huggins. Water quality manager with the City of London. Dan, you mentioned schools. Let's get to schools or daycares or how that would kind of fall in, maybe even rental units, but let's focus first on schools. Well, schools present uh, a really unique challenge, Mike, and and the reason being, uh, first off, schools don't have lead service pipes. Lead service pipes are very small in diameter. They're only used for small buildings like houses. So the the water in, in the school is not coming through a lead pipe. But within the walls of the school, there's plumbing, there's copper pipes that are held together by solder. And before 1990, solder contained a significant amount of lead. And all the fixtures, uh, the taps, the fountains, um, you may not notice it from the outside, but the internal surfaces that the water is traveling through are made of brass. And until 2014, brass contained an appreciable amount of lead. So when water is sitting in those pipes and touching that brass, it's dissolving lead and pulling it into the water. We're only talking small amounts, but you know that we're, it's these small amounts that are of concern. Um, and the reason schools present a unique problem is they've got a lot of plumbing. They've got big diameter pipes, and they sit empty for long periods of time. From the time the kids leave uh, in the afternoon until they're back the next morning, that water is just sitting there. All weekend long, the water just sits. So schools present a real unique challenge. Um, you can f- just flush that water out. But, again, that's a problem in a school. In your house in the morning, if you open your kitchen tap and run it for 15 to 20 seconds, you'll feel the water temperature get colder. You know that you're now bringing water in fresh from the street. It's not that water that was sitting in your pipes all night. But in a school, the, the length of the plumbing and the, the diameter of the larger pipes, you could run a water fountain for six hours and not flush out all that water that's been sitting overnight. So that's why schools present unique challenges. And even though they don't have lead pipes, there's enough lead coming from solder and brass fixtures to be a concern. Hmm. Okay, so how do you deal with that? Well, the schools deal with it. In Ontario, uh, uh, Ontario law requires schools to test for lead, uh, requires them to perform flushing. Um, I know that if you go to a school in London, you'll see uh, they put posters right above uh, taps that have uh, fountains that have been uh, tested, uh, and the lead levels are are acceptable. Every morning before the kids arrive, custodians are flushing uh, those taps, and the schools are required to keep records and make them available to anybody who asks of their most recent uh, lead testing results. So you can, if your child uh, is in a school in London, you can go to the front office and ask to see the uh, the lead testing results and what levels uh, kids might be exposed to, uh, and they they will provide that to you. Would daycares be similar under similar legislation? Exact, exact same legislation applies to daycares. Okay. And how about rental units? If someone's in a rental unit and a little concerned about that, is that a landlord question? It's a landlord question, but uh, again, keep in mind, uh, you're talking about a rental unit that had to have built, been built before 1953 and a smaller building like a house. If you're in a, you know, a high-rise, 
they don't have lead pipes. Uh, lead pipes are only came in up to uh, you know the maximum about an inch in diameter. So uh, buildings bigger than houses didn't use lead pipes. Dan, we have so much of an understanding of this now. Thanks to you. Thanks for laying it out how you did. Oh, happy to help. If I could add one more thing, Mike. Yeah. Uh, um, we have to keep things in perspective as well, of course. And whereas no lead is good lead, and we should always uh, you know try to reduce our exposure to lead. Today's generation of school kids is exposed to far less than any generation before them. They measure blood lead levels in children uh, in units of uh, micrograms of lead per tenth of a liter of blood. The average level for a five-year-old today uh, is less than two, maybe 1.6, 1.8. When I was five years old, it was closer to 25. We had so much more exposure to lead. Lead was in gasoline, in paint, in ink, in canned food. The, the, they sealed them with lead solder. We've done such a tremendous job. Uh, it's really a success story, the, the amount of lead exposure that we've diminished over the decades. And there's still lead in drinking water, and, and we're, we're working a way to you know, minimize that as well. Well, we'll have to talk again about some of the other water things involving London, but I know there's been fewer water main breaks, so congratulations on that. And thank you again for the perspective and the info today, Dan. You're very welcome. Have a great day. That's Dan Huggins, water quality manager. Boy, I feel educated. He laid it out beautifully. Let's talk to a guy who used to play some sports himself and is now kind of focusing in on fitness. He is starting a series that you'll be able to see on Global on TV, you'll be able to find online at globalnews.ca, and it deals with the culture of sports. And instead of me trying to explain it, uh, we'll have Mike Arsenault, Global News reporter and former London major, explain it for us. But, Mike, since you are such a baseball guy, and since Washington paid their visit to the White House yesterday, did you watch much of the World Series between the Washington Nationals and Houston Astros? I did. I always find it uh, tough to follow the World Series after the uh, the previous three playoff rounds because there's just so much baseball. But I mean, I mean, the first six games weren't that exciting. They're kind of uh, a lot of um, lopsided affairs. But yeah, Game Seven really kind of brought it home and was uh, great to see the Nationals, former Expos, finally bring a title uh, to the franchise. That's it. Now you're a guy who lived his life where fitness was very, very important and probably still is. Would you say it still is once? Once it gets in you, it never gets out? I definitely think that's fair to say. I mean, after my kind of baseball career fizzled out, I turned to tennis. So I'm playing tennis four to five times a week in the spring and summer. But the issue for me, and I'm sure a lot of people out there as well, is as we get uh, done with the outdoor sports season, there's not a lot of athletic pursuits that you can do that revolve around things other than just the gym. And to be honest, I hate spending time in the gym doing the same programs over and over again. So that's kind of where I came up with this new series uh, preparing on global news, both TV and online, called The Culture of Fitness. So I wanted to look at different exercise regimens from around the world and how different cultures approach a healthy and fit lifestyle. See, this is great stuff. Around the world, because you're exactly right. We are one of those countries where when you finish being active outside when the weather gets cold eh, it's hard to even go out and walk a dog right about now forget about go out and exercise and we wind up not doing too much over these months and then everybody says oh look at the new year's resolution what's the new year's resolution we're all going to get in shape makes for an easy one but yeah it's a vicious cycle that we go through so you're going to look at, at things around the world where did you decide to start 
it was kind of just throwing uh, throwing darts at a globe, basically, because I wanted to, to look at four regimens, kind of different areas of the world. So the first episode is about capoeira, which was uh, started in Brazil. So that's South America. Episode number two will be parkour, which originated in France. Episode three is cricket, which, of course, is uh, very popular uh, in India and the West Indies as well. And then the final episode is um, is. Uh, Muay Thai, which of course is uh, Southeast Asia, and it's a form of martial art as well. So the reason why I picked these four is, of course, they're very different. So they have a capability to keep you fit and healthy, depending on what excites you and what kind of you like to do. So everything's a little bit different because the most important exercise regimen, Mike, is one that you're going to do consistently. There we go. Isn't that the hardest thing to go again and again and find something that gets you out of bed in the morning or something you're willing to do before you go to bed at night? We're talking with Mike Arsenault, Global News reporter, about his brand new series, The Culture of Sport. Mike, of course, played for the London Majors. Now, let's look at Capuano because I don't even know how to spell that or say it properly, I hope I'm doing that, let alone do it. I don't even know what this is. So it's Capoeira. Oh, see? I'm glad. Capoeira is a place, man. It took me a while to, to get it to. It was a lot of practice during my voiceover for this piece. But what it basically is, it's, it's an Afro-Brazilian martial art, and it has a very cool history. So it actually originated... Um, was originated by the slaves in Brazil around 400 years ago. So they devised this martial art, and they had to disguise it. So that's why there's a lot of music and dance involved in capoeira, because, of course, they couldn't let the slave masters know that they were training in martial arts. So it has a, a very cool history, and where capoeira can be a fun activity for many people, if you're not a big fan of the monotony at the gym, the music and dance, it's a lot of kind of a lot of play and a lot of improv involved as you kind of face off against opponent in the ring, which is called the Hoda. So it kind of gives you that social aspect. It kind of has the music and dance. So you almost don't know you're getting a great workout as you go through it. So what has this evolved into? If it's a martial art that was kind of based on secrecy, is there actual contact with an opponent? Do you spar in any way? So in terms of the play, you don't. So basically, as you get to an expert level, you'll get very close with punches and kicks. So get close to your opponent without actually striking them. So that's more of the, the play and the exhibition aspect of capoeira. But there are a number of um, actual mixed martial artists who use capoeira as their training program. So it can prepare you to actually do battle. But most people, again, use it for the exercise, the camaraderie, and just kind of having fun a couple times a week when, again, you maybe can't get out side and uh, do your fitness outdoors like you would during the spring and summer. So likely very good cardio workout if you're moving around a lot. What other things are you, are you kind of working in capoeira? Well, the biggest thing that I found is, as you mentioned, yes, there's a huge cardio component. You wouldn't really think of think of it like that, but your body is your piece of equipment. So you're always moving. And the biggest thing for me, especially being a baseball guy and training uh, 20 years in a gym, is the gym is very front to back and up and down movements with squats or lunges or something like that. Capoeira, you're moving in all different directions. So you're moving your body through a range of motion that it's not used to. So it's going to help with your flexibility and your mobility, which are huge components of health and wellness as you age. Global News reporter Mike Arsenault joining us as we talk about the culture of sport. It's a new series. You can find it online at globalnews.ca. You'll be able to see it on Global News on television. And it looks at a number of things around the world that help people to stay in shape that maybe aren't the same old routine stuff that we get locked into here. So when we're looking at at movements like that, do you look back and think, man, 
playing ball. You know, if, if only I'd had this, if only I'd found this. Oh, for sure, because I, I think I probably put too much of an emphasis during my career on kind of the heavyweight stuff, right? So I kind of let the, the mobility and flexibility go by the wayside a little bit. So truthfully, I actually think I'm in better shape now than during my baseball career, because although I can't lift the same, I feel like I move better. So that kind of improves your, um, your physicality and improves your mobility and just your ability to get through, get through day-to-day life. And that's really the most important thing. You don't need to do your exercise regimen to compete. I mean, that's a great thing if you want to compete, but it's really just about getting your body moving and just find something that works for you. And uh, another point, if you, again, go to globalnews.ca and search for this, we actually have an assistant professor of exercise physiology, and she gives her feedback on each of the fitness regimens. So she'll say, well, cap is great in terms of X, but it could improve a little bit in terms of Y and Z if you want to be more well-rounded. So we really take a, a holistic overall approach to becoming fit and healthy with this new series. That's great stuff. Now, is it something that around here we would do on video? Could you do it in your house or do you have to go to Brazil or parts of Africa to find this? No, and I definitely, I mean, there's, there's many uh, capoeira facilities and studios across much of southern Ontario, so you could, you could find that, um, that instruction uh, kind of one-on-one or go into a class, but you also could learn it um, online if you wanted to. I mean, I just, I did it, I think, an hour-long class, and from start, from when I started to when I finished, you kind of get into a little bit, and it's, it's great to have someone there to kind of take you through the movements, but, and that's why I picked these four is that you're able to do these activities in Southern Ontario. So if you wanted to try capoeira, you'd have a great chance of finding a a studio or an environment that would teach you the the basics. And then maybe you and I, Mike, can uh, challenge each other next time I'm down your way. I like that because you won't actually be able to punch me in the face. So I, it'll, be like the, it'll be like the Matrix, right? You yeah. Just come very close. There okay. You go. I mean, can we talk about some of the other stuff in the future as, as we get closer to cricket and Muay Thai and things like that? Absolutely. So yeah, every Tuesday, the, uh, the new episode will premiere. So, yeah, if I'll love to chat with you every Tuesday. We can kind of get into uh, the next three episodes and then hopefully uh, future seasons down the road. Great stuff. Mike, thanks so much for the time. Thank you. Anytime. Mike Arsenal, global news reporter and former London major. On not Capuano, is that what I called it? Are they, isn't it the aren't there birds the the swallows of Capuano? Is that where I'm getting that from? I think so. I think or no, that's Capistrano, the swallows of Capistrano from Dumb and Dumber, Capoeira, which Nelson, who is producing the show today, says Georges Saint Pierre is big into or has been big into, and attributes that as part of his own success. So hey. If it's helping George St. Pierre, it can help the rest of us. Capoeira, C-A-P-O-E-I-R-A, just in case someone does spring one of those spelling contests on you. You've been listening to the London Live podcast. Catch the show live on weekdays from 1 to 3.